for those of you who may not know me, I'm Chris Chappelle. Uh, I've been here at Wellspring since, well, before the beginning, actually. Um, I am a founding member, like Maria, of the congregation, an elected member of the management team, which serves as the congregation's board of trustees. But in my day job, I'm a certified public accountant, or CPA. Sometimes I like to tell people I have a license to audit. Um, some CPAs are accountants, but I do use my CPA license in public practice as an auditor. You might wonder what that is exactly. Um, if you look at the root word, audit, auditory, to hear, my job is really about listening. In ancient times, before reading and writing were common skills, accounting was an oral procedure. And therefore, the people that were responsible for auditing the accounts were primarily charged with being good listeners. Auditors were appointed to hear the evidence verbally if there was a dispute between parties, to judge the facts, and to tell the truth as they saw it. Now, my job today really isn't that different from my ancient counterparts. Although the evidence is primarily in written or even electronic form these days, my job is still to review the accounting of my clients and to tell the truth as I see it. Sometimes it's a difficult road, particularly in down economic times. Sometimes the truth as I see it is that the information is wrong. Sometimes people lie. Sometimes they steal. Sometimes, being human, they make mistakes. My job is to find that error and fraud before investors rely on erroneous or fraudulent information in their decision-making about a company. So auditing really is more about people than it is about numbers. Now, you might have looked at the title of this message today, Soulful Accounting, and wondered how on earth I was going to talk about that topic for 20 minutes. Um, as I mentioned earlier, though, um, my profession is really about listening. And I think listening is really at the heart of any genuine spiritual life. Here at Wellsprings, listening is a big component of our community from Wellsprings 2.0, listening to our lives to the upcoming silent retreat in a couple of weekends, hearing what is here. Listening is also in our core value of living with integrity, which reads like this. We are a community of deep listening, possessing the humility and the vulnerability necessary so we are able to make positive change. We honestly evaluate where we are in the hope of courageously going where we are called to be. Maria Nemeth says in her book, The Energy of Money, a title I really like, uh, because I do think that when you think about money, it really is uh, a transmission of energy. So somebody has done something for you, a, a job, we just had some trees installed, um, and we paid the guy money. And that was for the work that he had done. So I think it's true, it's, it's really energy. And she says, how you do money is how you do life. Our relationship with money is a metaphor for our relationship with all forms of energy. Time, physical vitality, enjoyment, creativity, and the support of friends. It is frankly impossible to listen to our lives honestly 
without confronting the role that money plays both in our daily lives and in our hopes, dreams, and aspirations. We sang earlier that it's not about the money. That's also the title of a book by Brent Kessel, who, and talk about soulful accounting folks, this guy is both a personal financial planner and a practicing yogi. He delves into the question of how to best align our financial decisions with what he calls our heartfelt goals. Those goals that are aligned with our deep yearnings, our deep gifts, and who we are called to be. In his first chapter, provocatively titled, You Will Never Have Enough, he says this. Most of us would not consider ourselves greedy Yes, we might want a bigger house and a better neighborhood, but we want it for our, our expanding family. Yes, we want a nicer, newer car, but it's because of its safety features or fuel efficiency or because, well, the reality is that our job in our company depends in part on how other people perceive us. We may not want a specific material item, but instead, better salary, higher quality of life, the ability to take more vacations and enjoy more time with family and friends. But even when we crave something intangible like security or time off, there's no denying that most of us spend a lot of time just wanting. What's more, Kessel goes on to say, we often act on these desires in ways that leave us less than free financially. It's as if there's a force outside of us compelling us to squander our capital be it financial or spiritual, this force is known in many Buddhist traditions as the wanting mind. Kessel continues to explain that the practice of mindfulness and its importance in meaningful financial planning. Like listening, mindfulness is also a key element of our life here together at Wellsprings. We practice mindfulness as we just did as part of every Sunday service and also as part of our springboards that Maria described earlier, our small groups for spiritual growth, the most recent of which are having their first meetings this upcoming week. And as Maria said, there is still time to sign up. Particularly relevant, though, to our discussion of wanting mind, this force that compels us to spend or to make decisions that are inconsistent with our values is our springboard offering led by Will Doak and Beth Lehman titled Wanting What You Have that deals with the question head on. This springboard is based on Timothy Miller's book, How to Want What You Have, and in it he suggests a three-pronged approach to overcoming wanting mind. Compassion, attention, and gratitude. There is no denying that wanting what you have can sound very, very hollow to those who have been and continue to be adversely affected by the recession. I do not want to in any way imply that those who are suffering from underemployment, unemployment, lack of health insurance, underwater mortgages, or in any other way financially should be dismissed as people who just don't know to want what they have. That is why compassion is the starting place. People who have been adversely affected by the global recession have been front and center in the news a lot this past week. 
This photo is from this past week's street protests in Greece. What are they protesting about? They are angry about a set of austerity measures put in place by the government, including mass public layoffs, pension and wage cuts. The austerity measures were put in place as part of a plan to avoid default on Greece's massive national debt. This is about the impact of the situation on individuals and families, lost livelihoods, lost opportunities, even lost hope. I think what we see here, at least in part, is a form of societal wanting mind, an entire country living beyond its means for years, mortgaging the future in a way that has destabilized the entire economy to the point that it is unclear whether there is a way out, even with the potential financial support of its neighbors in the European Union. Now, an entire country living beyond its means for years, mortgaging the future in a way that has destabilized the entire economy to the point that it is unclear whether there is a way out. Does that sound at all familiar? And in fact, there were other protests going on this week, and these were much closer to home. This is a photo of Occupy Wall Street, a loosely organized protest movement that has actually been spreading to other cities throughout the country. They actually were right next door to my office in Philadelphia this past week. I'll tell you, Occupy Philadelphia isn't quite this impressive. Um, but it's there. And this movement has been justifiably criticized for its message, fuzziness. These protesters are carrying signs about everything from a lack of corporate social responsibility to corporate greed to campaign finance reform to income inequality to environmental degradation, and the list goes on and on and on. Some of these guys even dressed up as zombies in business suits earlier this week, which made for some great photo ops, but I don't think moved them any closer to be perceived as a legitimate movement in the minds of the general public and the media. There is one slogan that's risen up above all the others, though. In this photo, one of the protesters holds a sign that says, I can't afford a lobbyist. I am the 99%. This phrase, we are the 99%, refers to the uneven distribution of wealth in our country. Over 40% of the nation's wealth is concentrated in the hands of 1% of the population. Let me be clear and honest here. Chester County, Pennsylvania is demographically a wealthy place. According to the US Census, the median income in Chester County was $81,380 in 2009. That is far above the median for the country as a whole. And we have not been as hard hit by the recession as many. Our unemployment rate as of August 2011 is 7.1%, one of the lowest anywhere. I think it's fair to say that if we are not part of the 1% that the Occupy Wall Street protesters are rallying against, that some of our friends, neighbors, and colleagues likely are. And so how should we respond then when faced with this question, this question of the 99%, this question of income inequality? There's a website that's been set up as part of the protest movement called, well, you probably expect this, We Are the 99%, where people post photos of themselves 
and tell their stories of the impact the recession has had on them. This is social media, I think, at some of its best, because this is not the mass of people we just saw in that photo. This is individuals with faces telling their own stories, and some of them actually read like poetry, like this one, for example. I work for children with disabilities. I owe $20,000 in loans. I will pay it back in 12 years. I will probably never retire unless things change. If I ever get sick or injured, I will lose my job and then my house. I want my daughter to feel safe choosing a life of giving and service. I do not feel safe. I am the 99%. Another reads, my parents were told they might have to choose between buying me a second knee surgery or four years of college, and the insurance company still hasn't let us know. I am the 99%. There is real pain here, clearly, real suffering, real uncertainty. And it's not in the third world. It's not even over in Greece. It's right here. So I found myself, as I clicked on story after story on this website, and if you go to that website, they're continuously uploading photos. There's new stories every day, every hour. I found myself spontaneously reciting the loving-kindness meditation as I learned it from Reverend Ken years ago. As each photo came up, I found myself looking at each person's image and saying, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease. There is nothing we can personally do to fix these situations. They're bigger than all of us. But rather than tuning out and ignoring them or being paralyzed by guilt or fear, we can be present. We can always practice compassion. The second practice in wanting what you have is attention. The best description I have found of what it means to pay attention is the lovely American Buddhist nun Pema Chodron. In her talk, Awakening Loving Kindness, she says, when people start to meditate or to work with any kind of spiritual discipline, they often think that somehow they're going to improve, which is sort of a subtle aggression against who they really are. It's a bit like saying, and no offense here to the running as a spiritual practice people, right? If I jog, I'll be a better person. If I could meditate and calm down, I'd be a better person. Or the scenario might be that they find fault with others. They might say, if it weren't for my husband, my marriage would be great. Or if it weren't for the fact that my boss and I can't get along, my job would be just great. And my personal favorite, she says, if it weren't for my mind, my meditation would be excellent. <laughs> but loving kindness toward ourselves doesn't mean getting rid of anything, Shodron continues. Loving kindness means that we can still be crazy after all these years. We can still be timid or jealous or full of feelings of unworthiness. The point is not to try to change ourselves. Meditation practice isn't about trying to throw ourselves away and become something better. It is about befriending who we are already. The ground of practice is you or me or whoever we are right now, just as we are. That's the ground. That's what we study. That's what we come to know with great curiosity and interest. Spiritual practice is really a way to listen to our lives deeply and without judgment. As Timothy Miller puts it, 
and how to want what you have the goal is whatever you feel feel it completely without reservation whatever you see see it completely without reservation whatever you touch touch it completely and without reservation in other words pay attention and I would add to that list in the spirit of soulful accounting whatever you spend spend it completely and without reservation whatever you save save it completely and without reservation and whatever you share share it completely and without reservation that's what we at wellsprings refer to as happy money money that is shared saved and spent freely and joyfully as opposed to sad money the money that we were hearing about in those stories of the 99 percent the money of obligation regret and fear now we speak here at wellsprings and i speak about it a lot personally about abundance i fear though that sometimes our core belief around abundance can be easily misunderstood abundance does not mean we get or have everything we want as we use the term abundance is about making wise choices it is about what we have being sufficient to meet our discerned needs our resources being aligned with our values happy money is an expression of abundance and I want to be clear that when we talk of abundance, it is not that Wellsprings has limitless resources because we do not. Wellsprings is, in fact, 90% funded by all of you, the people in this room, our members, and those who consider this to be our spiritual home. The only way Wellsprings thrives is through our generosity and discernment about the value of this community in our lives. I believe strongly that this community is worthy of our sustained and meaningful financial support but only you can make that decision for yourself we take care not to turn wellsprings into yet another source of sad money for the members of our congregation we have resisted the temptation although it was there to discontinue passing our weekly collection through to the clinic in phoenixville we did decide several years ago to direct our collection to Wellsprings on the last Sunday of every month. But the value of keeping our collective focus, our collective attention, all those other weeks outward on those in our local community who are uninsured and might otherwise not receive the care they need right here in our community. That far outweighed the potential financial benefit to Wellsprings of not doing so. The third of the suggested practices for wanting what you have, along with compassion and attention, is gratitude. Now, in some ways, this is the easiest of the three. At least it seems that way. What I do know is that this is one we can do right now, right here. Let's just jump in. So ask yourself the question, what or who am I thankful for today? What or who am I thankful for today? Whatever your answer to that question, I charge you to express your gratitude to that person or thing today. This is important. Do not wait. 
Don't put it on the endless to-do list. Don't tell yourself you'll get to it next week. Do it now. If, if what you are thankful for is a person, take five minutes, send a card, pick up the phone, or write an email expressing your gratitude. If what you are thankful for is not a person, say a brief, par brief prayer of thanks for whatever that might be. Don't let yourself go to sleep tonight until you've done this. And by the way, there's no reason you can't do that same exact thing tomorrow too and the day after that and actually every day. If you are interested in further exploring the practice of gratitude, starting November 1st, Wellsprings will once again host a 30 days of gratitude practice on our proprietary website. 30daysofgratitude.com. Yes, we own that domain. Isn't that cool? Uh, <laughs> stay tuned for further information later this month. The reason we do it in November, of course, is because it is traditionally in our culture the month of Thanksgiving. So I charge you today, be an auditor. Listen to your life. Listen deeply. Be courageous in your questions and honest in your answers. Tell the truth as you see it. Seek to grow in your practice of compassion, attention, and gratitude. And surely then we will find that all of our gifts, financial and otherwise, are sufficient. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of our heart's deepest yearning, may we be compassionate, mindful, and grateful this day and all days. May our practice of compassion begin by extending it first to ourselves. May we be courageous in our questions and honest in our answers. Let us listen to the wholeness of our lives. Let us share from our abundance. May we be who we are called to be, both as individuals and as a spiritual community. This is my prayer this day. May it be so. Amen.